we've been going through this series called Hope That Heals, and it's been a very powerful series for our community. I mean, gone through depression, anxiety, um, grief, and today we're talking about fear. So uh, you normally don't um, you normally don't come to church expecting this, but I'm gonna give you a little pop quiz this morning. So uh, here's the pop quiz. Which of these things was Mike afraid of growing up? A, ghosts. <laughs> B, worms. C, alien abduction. Or D, acid rain. Wait, wait, just shout it out. Which one of these was Mike afraid of growing up? <laughs> um, actually, the truth is, there should be a, an E, all of the above. <laughs> uh, but if, <laughs> if you look at ghosts, for instance, like that's just fear of the unknown. Um, worms, just extreme dislike. Uh, turned into f- a little bit of fear. My, my sister used to chase me around with worms growing up. Um, alien abduction grew, grew up, um, you know, 80s and 90s when like all those movies were big, X-Files, all these alien movies. And... Um, like, there's this one movie where this kid woke up and he had a bloody nose because he's abducted by aliens, and I used to wake up and check my nose every morning. Um, acid rain, learn about acid rain in grade six biology. And then I probably asked too many questions in class and revealed my fear. It's like, so, what does an acid rain clown look like exactly? <laughs> what do I do when acid rain hits? <laughs> I had, like, this fear of my skin melting off when acid rain came. Um, but... So fear takes many different forms, right? We see like a fear of the unknown there. Um, uh, and, and very much so, ignorance is, is kind of a breeding ground for fear. Um, fear, dislike can often turn into uh, a fear. Prejudice, racism, these are forms of fear. Uh, and one of these in particular, uh, are, or all of them actually, are pretty irrational. <laughs> They're all pretty irrational fears. Um, or, or one's a, maybe acid rain, a fear of what can hurt me. So, uh, but what I didn't list was the fear of man. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, that encompasses rejection, approval, um, you know, what others think about you. Uh, this is the fear of man. And this plagues our society. This plagues our humanity. Just the fear of man and what others will think. And if we have someone's approval, if we have someone's rejection, so we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, right off the bat, I want to say that if you're in Trinity Life Church this morning, that you've entered a community that uh, you should not bring the fear of man into, because that is not what we want to multiply here. Um, so whether this is your first time in Trinity Life Church, this is your first experience of Trinity Life Church, whether you've only experienced Trinity Life Church in a Sunday service or in a small group or through our events, um, we are a community that is not defined by the fear of man. What does that look like? And this, this is the major application today, and I say it up front because I don't want you to miss this, that what we have here isn't a community that is, that is uh, dictated by that fear. We want to be uh, dictated by the fear of the Lord. We want to pursue God. So practically what that looks like is um, not being afraid of doing things in our city, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, not being afraid of sharing your hurts with each other. Uh, it could look like if you have a problem with somebody, not being afraid to go to that person and say, hey, look, 
what you said, this, phenomy, and then reconciling as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the community we want to build. Not a community where we say, oh, I don't know what they think about me, so I'm not going to talk to them ever again. No, that's not family. And we're building a family here, the family of God. So just want to say that right up front. That's the community that Trinity Life Church is. So that's what you've entered into this morning. And also, that we weren't born to live in fear, guys. When God created us, uh, he didn't create us as fearful beings. So when we see, when we see fear throughout the scriptures, um, uh, this is a lot of times it's, it's, or all the time it's post fall. So post sin entering into the world. So we weren't, we weren't created to, to live in fear, to live a lifestyle of fear. Um, that is not the life that God meant for us to have. Just go back to the Garden of Eden and think about it. So Adam and Eve, um, their relationship with God, for instance, wasn't one of, of fear in the sense of being afraid of God, because they just walked with God. In the cool of the day, they just walked with Him. They weren't afraid of Him because they were holy as He was holy. They were pure as He was pure. That's how He created us. Uh, sin enters and, and changes that. So the holiness of God now is actually a fearful thing for us. It should evoke fear in us in the sense of being afraid, which we'll talk about later. But also in the garden, like Adam and Eve, they weren't even afraid of animals. They talked to animals. They talked to a snake. Like Even in Harry Potter, talking to, to snakes is bad. So they're like talking to snakes, and like they're not scared. So there's no fear before the fall. So how do we get back to this point where we live a life that is that is uh, not dictated or controlled or bound by fear, but one that is uh, that but a life that is dictated by freedom? Uh, that's where we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about. So I want you to hear this statement: the fear of man in your life will only be defeated. By a life of worship. The fear of man in your life will only be defeated by a life of worship. So what does fear look like in the kingdom of God? How do we take our fears and redeem them? Take a look at this uh, fear of God continuum. This is from a book uh, by a guy named Ed Welch, Christian um, counselor. He says that uh, with the pre the presence of the, when we have fear in our lives, it's, it's one of two things. It's either the fear of man or it's the fear of God. And he says those two things are indirectly proportional to each other. So the greater our fear of man is, the less our fear of God is. And when we have the fear of God, when it, healthy in our lives, that displaces the fear of man. So this, um, this continuum here. So he says when we encounter God, our fear begins as terror. So the fear of the Lord begins as terror because he's a holy God and we are sinful, corrupt people. And God is holy and he's set apart. So he says it begins with terror and then it goes to dread, trembling, then turns into astonishment. Like, wow, how could this holy God allow me, someone who is broken, to be in his presence? Astonishment, awe, reverence. And then normally we stop there. And and uh, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this all your life, that uh, when someone describes the fear of the Lord, you take out being afraid, and you just talk about, well, it's, it just means reverence. 
Now, when my family started going to church when I was 10, that's what they, they taught me. They said, well, the fear of God is just reverence. And it's a very reductionistic view of what the fear of God is because it goes from reverence to devotion to trust and ends in worship. And so if we're going to truly fear the Lord, we're going to be living a life of worship. And the psalm here in 27 uh, really hits that uh, all throughout the psalm. The first, the first section of the psalm, the psalmist is talking about God. And he's saying, these things are true about God. The next section of the psalm, uh, he's talking to God. And he's saying, God, give me these blessings. And the last portion of the psalm, he's saying uh, to himself and to others, to us who, who are weak, he's saying, be strong. He's talking to the weak parts of us and saying, be strong. So let's walk through this. I'm going to answer, we're going to talk about three questions this morning. One, why does a life of worship combat fear? So why, why should we live lives of worship? Two, when does a life of worship control fear? Okay, when does a life of worship control fear? And then three, how does a life of worship conquer fear? That's the goal, right? We, we want to be released of our fears. And, and there's three things here. So why does a life of worship combat fear? Three things. Because it speaks truth, because it breeds confidence, and because it draws us near to God. We see the psalmist say some, some very significant things at the beginning. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And he says, whom shall I fear? Like, if those things are true, why should I be afraid? He says, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. Again, why should I be afraid? And he's speaking these things. He's like telling himself these things. The, the other thing we've done with worship, if we're going to talk about a life of worship, another thing we've done is, is reduced worship to this emotional state of being. Like uh, When we're truly worshiping, we, we feel emotional. Um, and that's, a, again, it's a very reductionistic view of what worship is. Uh, because worship uh, involves not just the emotions, but it involves the mind. It's the life of the mind. And so the psalmist here is telling him these things. He's saying, whether he believes it or not, in this moment, he says, I know that the reality is the Lord is my light. And when he says my light, this is actually the only time in the Old Testament that this word is used. You know, that, that sounds, that sounds kind of crazy if you know the scriptures because in the New Testament, light is the predominant theme. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, in me, you are the light. Light is a predominant theme in the New Testament. But if you're reading through the Old Testament, you come across this, and he says, the Lord is my light. It should, like, smack you in the face because um, we've never heard God described that way before. And so this is a very, this is very powerful imagery. And as we just sang, it says, when the darkness comes, basically the psalmist is saying, it can crash on me, and I will conquer it. So he's saying, God is my light, and I, and I believe that. He says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my is a stronghold of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? And knowing those truths leads to the second thing, where it breeds confidence in us. I love when Elaine read this, and uh, we didn't instruct her this way. Um, she just read it along with the text. But when she read verse 2, she said, it is they who stumble. And she emphasized they. And when when this is written in the original language, that's that's emphasized. That's a huge point of emphasis that it's it's those people who stumble. It's not us who stumble. When the Lord is our light and our salvation, we're not the ones who stumble. It is they who stumble. And just in the natural reading, 
she emphasized that. Um, that we can see when God, when these truths, uh, when we live in these truths of God, the enemies and the adversaries, they stumble. And when he talks about it, it's like this, it's like this pack of wolves. It's these external forces. And that's, fear is both internal and external, right? Um, fear is very internal. Uh, fear, fear feeds on fear. Um, fear distorts reality for us in our minds and it creates a false perception of, of reality. And, uh, but it's also external and, and the psalmist sees these external forces coming at him and it's, and he pictures it as like this pack of wolves coming to attack him. That they're seeking to devour him. And what he does, uh, is he takes this fear and he places it on, on the rock of Christ, on the stronghold of his life. A lot of times when we face fears in our lives, um, you go, you go to a counselor or a psychologist or your family or whoever, uh, and you have people, external forces saying things to you. And people will tell you, well, don't believe what they say. Like, you should believe this, this, and this. So what we end up doing is we, we say, okay, well, I don't want to believe what they say. But then we end up putting our, our fear, we just end up moving our fear from one person to another. From bad things to good things. So I'm not going to believe that, that Adam says, I'm a horrible preacher. I'm going to believe that, that Missy says, I'm the best preacher in the world. Um, or she says on a daily basis. She texts that to me every day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what happens when Missy stops saying that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, that's what happens, right? My world crashes down because I put my stronghold and my faith and my fear in her and not God, okay? And I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not, and Missy's not, and I'm not, like, she's not always going to think the best of me or say the best things to me, and I'm not always going to say the best things to her or think the best things of her. I'm human, I'm fallen. Like, we want that, yes, but that's just not the reality. But when we take our fear of man and, and remove it from that and place it in the fear of God, um, God who is unrelenting, always reliable, always faithful, never changing the scriptures say, then we won't be on this roller coaster of fear, okay? Um, and then that leads into what the psalmist says uh, in verses 4 through 6. Uh, the reason we should live a life of worship is because it draws us near to God. He says, I seek one thing in verse 4. One thing I seek, and that's the presence of God. When are we going to realize, guys, that uh, Jesus is enough? When are, you, when are we going to realize that if you're in Christ, that you're a child of the God of the universe. That I don't need Missy's approval on a day-to-day basis because I am approved in Christ. That I don't have to strive for anything. That our, our faith isn't a set of principles of do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's not that. It's this relationship with the God of the universe that I can rest in and find grace in and mercy in and love and joy and the psalmist here uses, uh, oh, he uses a whole bunch of language. He says, 
He says, one thing, I focus on God's presence because fear, you know what fear does? It, um, fear is duplicitous. It is, uh, it lies to us. Um, fear distracts with multiplicity. And he says, one thing I'm focusing on, and that is the presence of the Lord God. And all those other fears will, will just fade away. Um, my girls, I have a three-year-old, Reagan, and a four-year-old, Emerson. They're two of the best people I know. Um, and oh, it was so great. Just This is kind of a side, but Emerson was singing Our God in my ear as we're, as we're singing the song. She's singing every word, and it just like melted my heart. I almost started weeping. Um, just so beautiful that a four-year-old can sing those truths and, and believe them. Like, she believes those things. And we're singing them, and we live a life that doesn't look like we believe those things. Um, I don't know, how, how much would our lives change if we truly believe that our God is greater and stronger? Um, yeah, so that's an aside. But my girls, their number one fear is flies. Uh, <laughs> actually, any little bug that flies... Like gnats, mosquitoes, fruit flies, horse flies, house flies, moths, butterflies. Like ladybugs are on the ground okay when they fly. Uh, it's on. So we're, we're driving home. I, I picked them up from school. I was driving home, um, with them from school the other day. And there's a fly in the car, which is no bueno. Um, cause, I'm trying to drive, and like literally, when we when we found out that Emerson was afraid of flies when she was one, she was sitting in her little booster seat eating her meal, and a fly lands right here, and homegirl freaks out like she is shaking. Like I thought we thought she was seizing. She's like, <laughs> she's like, Aah! her face is red. She's screaming, crying, like she can't even. I mean, well, she can, like, she, all she is is staring at it, because she's, like, she's giving me the death stare, like, it's, it's, like, it's gonna jump on her face or something. And I'm like, hey, just do this, and it'll fly away. Um, and so I think she gave it to Reagan, the same fear, cause, and we've been trying to, like, not, like, tell her and take that fear away from her ever since she was one. So three years of working on this random, irrational fear. So, she's, <laughs> I'm driving in the car, and all I hear is, fly! <laughs> and and I, I look in my mirror, and they're both like this, looking at the ceiling. Like, they're staring at it on the ceiling, and it goes, it's crawling back, and Reagan's, like, staring at it. And they're shaking, like crazy. They're just shaking and screaming. And I'm just, it, like, the whole thing is, it's funny, it's really annoying, and it's kind of sad. <laughs> And I'm trying to keep it calm, keep it cool, because it really annoys me that they get, they get frust, they get, uh, or scared of flies. So, um, I'm like, hey girls, it's okay, just calm down. I'm driving on Dufferin, and there's buses, and bikes, and cars, I'm trying to pay attention. But they're like gonna make me crash, because they're just freaking out. So, I'm just like, I gotta get this fly out of here. And, so I see in my rearview mirror, and I look back, and it's flying like right in front of Emerson, and, and I go and I, I just bend back and grab it. And um, I almost hit Emerson in the face. And I grab it and I throw it out the window. And they're like, 
<sighs> it's like everything just like calms down just the f- because the fly's gone. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty awesome. I was actually, <laughs> I was actually like, is it really here? And I put it out. I was like, oh, it was. <laughs> I was just kind of doing a show for them. Um, but it was like, they were so tensed up. Does fear grip you like that? Missy and I climbed the CN Tower last Saturday, and they have a glass floor in there. And this lady, she was looking over the glass floor, and she's telling us, she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on it. She goes, and she's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. She goes, no, 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 I can't. And then she walks around it like this. And there's like, and there's people sitting on the glass floor. There's, there's people like jumping on it, and she's still like, uh, I, I can't do it. Fear just had a hold on her. It just gripped her. Does fear do that to you? Does it hinder you like that? Does it stop you from doing things that God is calling you to do? Fear for you might be faith. You might just be afraid to take that first step into faith. Is that fear for you? During that whole, I call it the fly incident of 2015, with my girls, (laughs) during that whole incident, in the middle of it, and I'm trying to teach them and coax them and, and just speak to their rational minds, which three and four years old, I don't know. <laughs> and I say to Reagan at one point, I say, sweetie, the fly isn't going to hurt you. Don't you trust me? And without hesitation, she says, no. <laughs> Is that you when God says, don't you trust me? You say, no. God, I don't trust you. I can't take that step of faith. I don't, I don't have enough trust to do that. In the New Testament, um, the authors go to great lengths to talk about the life of the mind. They say the life of the mind is very valuable. You can go through, you know, Romans chapter 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. His work is done. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We have minds of conquerors. He says, 1 Corinthians 2, that we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 4, he says, set your minds on these things. Think on these things. Whatever is lovely, pure, noble, praiseworthy, true, think on those things. 1 Thessalonians says, to pray without ceasing. To always give thanks. And we say, well, how can we pray without ceasing? But we think without ceasing. Just redeem those thoughts into prayers. So they're so, the life of the mind is so valuable in faith, in worship. And a life of worship is always going to speak truth to you, breed confidence in you, and draw you near to the source of goodness, love, joy, and life. So second question, we're going to roll through the next two. When does a life of worship control fear? For the psalmist, in verses 7 through 10, it's when the lies of the enemy come. He, he's very fickle in these verses. He goes back and forth. He's like, I seek your face, God. Where are you, God? Don't forsake me. Don't be angry. I know you're there. Thank you for being there, God. And, and he goes back and forth. And fears like that, when the lies of the enemy come in, is very fickle, and it, it just tosses us. 
uh, back and forth, to and fro. And the psalmist here says that, and he's just, he just said, I know, God, you are my light. I know you're my salvation. I know you're my stronghold. You're my refuge. You're my shelter. He uses all this language. And he says, don't forsake me, God. And then in verse 10, he remembers the promises of God. And he talks about God. He uses the personal name of God in these verses. Which is Yahweh. Um, and he emphasizes that this relationship, this personal, intimate relationship with God is the key to dispelling fear in my life. And that's a life of worship. And he says, God, I seek your face, which is, uh, again, um, in the Old Testament, uh, there's one main guy who sought the face of God. His name is Moses. And he's the great prophet in the Old Testament. And God says, I can't show you my face. If I show it to you, you'll die. So uh, his full glory passes and Moses sees um, the tale of his glory. And so it's really peculiar here that the psalmist says, Lord, I seek your face. I want to see your face. And it makes us think, it catapults us into the New Testament where the the writer Paul of, of um, Colossians says that um, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews says that he is the exact imprint of his nature, of the nature of God. And so in Christ, we can say, I seek your face and I found it. Um, and that's what, that's what, uh, that's how we control fear in, in this life of worship. It's, it's seeking the face of God like the psalmist is doing. We have a, a tremendous opportunity as a church, as really a brand new church, still very young, very new church. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of this tonight when we do our, our, our church-wide prayer gathering. Uh, we'll talk about the space at 222 on the Esplanade. And we have a tremendous opportunity for vision, mission, and uh, just to do something greater uh, in this city. And we'll talk about that later. But if we were fearful, this is actually, this is an opportunity that could, that could breed a lot of fear. Um, like, are we in the best position to do something like this um, by man's perspective? No. Um, is this bigger than we can accomplish on our own? Yes. Uh, that, that is a big opportunity to breed fear in us. And do you know what fear does? Fear leads to a life of comfortability. It leads to a life of um, just a sheltered life. Um, And that's not the life that Jesus has called us to live. For Let me ask you this question. For how many of you, when an opportunity presents itself that, that is somewhat fearful, the first thing you say is, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can never do that. I tell people my story all the time um, about leaving our our family, leaving our jobs, um, leaving our home, all that to move to downtown Toronto and start a church. And the majority of people say, oh, I can never do that. I couldn't leave things like that. I couldn't just go to a a brand new city and country and, and, and start from scratch like that. That's not me. 
that's a lifestyle of fear. If that's the first thing you say when an opportunity presents itself, that's a lifestyle of fear. How about as a church? Is that the first thing we should say as a church? Oh, God, we, no, we can never do that. We can't do that. That's, that would be breeding fear. Or how about the first thing you say is, oh, what is she going to think of me? What is he going to think of me? If I do that, what is that person going to think of me? Again, that's a lifestyle of fear. And if those are the questions that you ask, you are in bondage by the fear of man. And God wants to release you of that this morning. Because that's not the life he created you for. He created you for a life of freedom. Not a life that says, I can never do that. But a life that says, I can't do that, but God can do that through me. And that's, like a ruling principle in my life, is that when I feel fear, because I, I feel fear, um, we all do, but when I feel that fear, it draws me close to God. Because there, it, I remember, I can't do this on my own, but I, it draws me to dependence on God. And I know that I can only do this through God. And that's, that's who I am as a person of faith, and that's how we lead Trinity Life Church, as a community of faith, that we're going to draw close to God and see Him work. Because if our vision and our mission can only be accomplished by, by what we see in front of us and by, by our capabilities, then it's not a God-sized vision. And we want God to be in that vision. And we want to only do something where we could only have done it through God. Okay? Um, and that should be not just how we act as a church, but how you act as a person of faith. That whatever it is, that whether it's a new job or... Um, moving to the other side of the world to do something or, um, you know, stepping into a community of faith that you know that you could only do this without God. All right. So let me, let's, let's go to the last question. How does a life of worship conquer fear? Um, three things. Hear, trust, and obey. This is, this is what he's, he begins to talk about in verses 11 through 14. He says, teach me your way, God. Teach me your way. God's instruction teaches us. It makes a path level, as the psalmist says, which is sure progress. It's righteous. It's a sure path. Then he says, trust. Fear, um, he says here, false witnesses. Fear produces false witnesses. But he, he contrasts the breath of the enemy and his adversaries. He says, that's a violence. Um, and it just... It's contrasted with the breath of God. The breath of, the breath of God brings life. The word for, for spirit in, in Hebrew all, can also mean uh, breath. And so, and then you see this in the New Testament where Jesus breathes on his disciples and he gives them the spirit. Um, and he breathes in us to create life in us. And so, uh, Psalmist is, is, is pointing us to the breath of God. And, and then obey. Uh, and Ben, you guys, you guys can, can make your way up. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take courage, wait for the Lord. A lot of psalms end with an outburst of praise or an answer from God. But this psalm ends with just saying, wait for the Lord and knowing that that is enough. Now that's enough. And waiting isn't this inactivity or, or inaction, but it's this 
this, uh, it's activity that says, I'm going to do this and expect God to show up. Like Daniel said, uh, Adam, him and I were in Florida this week. Don't be jealous because we didn't really be, we weren't outside too much. Maybe we were outside for like collectively for one hour, maybe. We're inside at this conference all week. Um, it was an amazing conference. So it's, it's called Exponential. It's, um, it's this, it's probably one of the largest church planning conferences in North America. And the theme this week was multiplication. And they brought in all these global leaders from El Salvador, China, India, uh, Africa, because these are global movement leaders. Things that we don't see too often here in North America. These were movement leaders that the guy from El Salvador, he, his church is like a hundred thousand people. Um, the guy from China, they can trace 2.2 million baptisms back to this guy. 150,000 churches planted because this guy heard, trusted, and obeyed and didn't live by the fear of man in a communist country, but lived by the fear of the Lord. And it was so encouraging, so amazing. They brought in this guy from India, Ajay Lal, and... He talked about all the persecution that's going on in India. This one family, how um, the husband was tied behind a tree while they gang-raped his wife, killed his kids. People burned alive. And because he lived by the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man, he sought out those people that did that to his family and brought them to Jesus. So three months later, they're now his brothers in Christ. Not his enemies, not his adversaries, but they're his brothers. And all I could think of was, could I do that? I can't. I thought, I can't do that. How could I do that? How could I do what he did? And that's because in that moment I was living in the fear of man and not the fear of the Lord. And I came away from this conference saying, I want to commit to three things. And I told this to Missy when I got back. So I want to commit to prayer, fasting, and the Word. Because question after question, every time these guys spoke, they said, we didn't have this great strategy. We're not doing anything spectacular. They don't have a great band. They don't have a cool facility to meet in. All they did and all they knew how to do was pray, fast, and read the Word. And they spent their lives doing that, hearing, trusting, obeying. And they just multiplied themselves. And they multiplied the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man. And I want to multiply that out. That's a question which asks, what are we multiplying out? We want to multiply that out in our city. If we're going to see a movement of God happen, we have to multiply that out. And on the plane back, uh, we had a short flight from Philadelphia to back to Toronto Friday morning. And by God's providence, I sat next to a 50-something-year-old woman from India. She was she had made the trek from Delhi. She had flown from Delhi, laid over for like six hours in Europe somewhere, 
was in Philly, saw her son who was in university, and then got on the same plane sitting next to me on the plane. And just here's a couple of evangelism tips for you guys. The first step, just starting a conversation. The second step, taking that conversation to who she is. And the third step, taking that conversation to who I am. And that's just what I did. I just talked to her. Um, I didn't let the fear of man control me. I just opened up a conversation with her. And, oh man, at the end of the conversation, we talked for two hours straight. At the end of the conversation, we could have been best friends. Me, a uh, pastor from Toronto, 34 years old. Her, a devout Hindu from Delhi, 50-something years old. She had no idea what a pastor was. <laughs> when I told her that, she was like, uh, what is that? She um, spoke perfect English but had no concept of what, what a pastor is. And we laughed, we cried. Because I shared this story with her that I just shared with you guys. And her heart mourned for her people. We shared joy. She was going to run a marathon in Vancouver. We shared loss. She asked my advice. I counseled her, I pastored her. At the end of it, we had inside jokes already. <laughs> and then a two-hour conversation. Um, she hadn't laughed like that in years. And rather than let the darkness of fear overtake me, I showed her the light. And I took her through the entire scriptures. She had no concept for it. And I wish I could say that she broke down and said, I need that. I want that. But that wasn't necessarily my goal. Uh, My goal was just to show her the love of Christ, the light of Christ. And I just trust that the Spirit will do the rest. Plato says, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy is when men are afraid of the light. I think the real tragedy is when children of the light are afraid to show the light. And that's what we're called to do as a church, to show the light That's what you're called to do in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, out on the streets, here, to show the light. And that's all I did on that airplane. And all I can do is pray that Vanita grasp the light. The psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's stop living in fear, in the fear of man, and let's live in the fear of the Lord and worship in a life of worship. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it reminds, encourages, exhorts, puts before us that we don't have to live in fear, but that we can live in freedom. That our lives don't have to be controlled by what others think of us, but we can live in the approval of what you think of us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So release us of the fear of man this morning. Throw us, immerse us into the fear of God this morning. And I'm not talking about dread and terror. I'm talking about worship and awe and reverence and astonishment daily about who you are and what you've done for us. Ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.